We're going to uh, turn some attention now to the Gospel of Luke as we've been studying for several weeks. We are in chapter 6. Our text begins uh, Luke 6, verse 27. In the Pew Bible, I think it's on eight, uh, page 862. I'll start with a story that I read recently. You can tell me whether or not you think it is probable or even remotely possible. It was recounting a headline from 1971 that I thought was impossible, so I kind of leaned in on the story. Maybe you, I won't even mention the title. You can just listen to the story, judge for yourself. I'll skip right to it. It was Christmas Eve, 1971. Uh, a young woman, uh, Julian, a recent high school graduate, and her mother, uh, Mary, uh, excuse me, Maria Kopik, were uh, eager to fly and to catch some time with family. It was Christmas Eve. They wanted to be together with family on Christmas, so they board uh, in Peru uh, the, the airline Lanza uh, 508. There were about 90 people aboard the plane. They take off. It's only going to be a, an hour-long flight over the Peruvian um, Amazon forest. About 25 minutes into the flight, everything's going just fine. Unfortunately, they enter into a dark uh, black cloud. There's a thunderstorm. Uh, the plane is jumping all over the place. Uh, as a result, Christmas gifts and, uh, you know, people are screaming. Everything's just bouncing all around. Next thing you know, a, a bolt of lightning uh, hits the plane and uh, it, it tears off uh, part of the fuel tank and the whole right wing. Uh, the, the, the plane goes into a nosedive. And uh, this is what Julian, uh, this young uh, Julian, uh, this young woman says. Suddenly, there was an amazing silence. The plane had broken apart. There was an amazing uh, silence for her. The plane was gone. I must have been unconscious, and then uh, came to in midair. I was flying, spinning through the air, and all I could see was the forest spinning beneath me. She was two feet. Excuse me. Two. Big difference. Two miles up in the sky. She's strapped to her seat and the rest of the bench that tore out of the plane. She's spinning. She breaks through uh, the canopy of the the rainforest and she's strapped there. Uh, She lands in the middle of the darkness for hours. She's unconscious. She wakes up on Christmas morning. Here you have a 17-year-old girl. Tragically, she's the only person who survives uh, the, the, the crash. Uh, some would argue miraculously the only person who survived this crash, the lone survival. But many would call it a story of a double survival because then she uh, heads out with a concussion, a broken uh, collarbone, uh, a few cuts and scrapes. Uh, she lost her glasses. She has one flip-flop. Uh, she found a, a, a small bag of treats in the wreckage of the plane which she've tracked down but she's pretty much half blind and she survives by herself in the amazon forest excuse me in the uh in the rainforest for 10 days she's reunited with her dad today she's living in germany she's a zoologist they went and just gave her a doctorate a phd for surviving all that (laughs) she she's she recovered she's fine In the story I read capturing this, Julian, the woman, said in her interview, she is not a spiritual person and has tried to find logical explanations for why she survived. I mean, I'm with you, okay? I mean, I'd like to know what some of those logical 
explanations are. I just can't envision or imagine a person two miles up in the sky free falling and, and surviving. But it's true. It happened. It's, it's documented. And, and, and physicists and other scientists have offered a whole host of different uh, theories and ideas as to how a person could survive this, possibly. There are natural and scientific ways to explain it, I, I suppose. And that's what she's satisfied with that. Well, why do I bring this up? Let's imagine if I were to uh, come to you and say, hey, I've got I, here's a given challenge for you. I want you to I want you to I'm going to call on you to do something that is is naturally uh, seemingly impossible. If we were honest, we would say, you know, oh, no, I, I don't know how I can do that under any normal circumstances. Well, it doesn't have to be a, a, an adventure or, a, a you know, a, a survival thing. I mean, if you if you were read why would you even pick up a story how to survive a plane crash in 10 days alone in the rainforest? I mean, you would say, like, if I want to survive that, I just don't go there. I just don't board that. I don't I don't start. I don't do that. Well, if you wanted something and this is not an adventure, but this is a challenge that is seemingly altogether not naturally possible let me invite you to stand and hear Jesus' words. Luke 6, verse 27. But I say to you, you who can hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as for, as for your wish, you, others would do to you, so do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, well then what benefit is it to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those with whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sin, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the most high. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For, you, for with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And he also, said, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is God's word. You may be seated. 
we're going to need help. Uh, So let me pray. Join with me. Father, uh, Holy Spirit, even now we would ask that you would guide our time. Help me to get out of the way. And would you please help our self-deceit and unbelief to be completely cleared away. Maybe not only hear and and read and, and meditate for a moment on your word, but actually respond to it. And that's only because our hope is that we're praying through him who is above all and before all and through whom all things hold together, Jesus. Amen. A friend of mine that I've been dialoguing with recently about uh, the gospel and about Jesus and he does not believe was describing. He said, this is he says, you know, like like my, my, my God, my my higher power, if you will, is is like this. And 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 this is how it this is how it all shakes out and work. And I said to him, it sounds like you're making a God in your own image. He said, fair enough. Fine. So I couldn't help. But this week when I read a quote from Pastor Tim Keller that nailed it on the head to send it to him, this is what the the quote says. Pastor Tim Keller writes, if your God, that's little G. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Ouch. Now, I sent it to my buddy. He, I, he, he knew I wasn't trying to be snarky because uh, I followed it up with, hey, listen, this week I'm preaching on a passage that says I have to love my enemies and pray and bless those who persecute me. Uh, and I kind of feel like I'm out of step. I disagree with God right now. I don't know that that's the best wisdom. I, I find it hard to, to put in place, honestly. Here's our high calling. I'm going to ask three questions here. Why practice this? What's the cost? And who's going to help us? What... what What's the reason? Why, why would we practice these types of things? Perhaps it's best, maybe right out of the gates, to address one of the objections. If I follow this seemingly impossible advice, then won't I just become a doormat for people who can walk on me and, 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 and abuse me? Well, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying that in all circumstances we should should merely be pacifist. And we uh, we don't have any grounds to defend ourselves against or combat evil, even with force. That Jesus is not saying that. The broader testimony of Scripture doesn't uh, testify. It brings clarity, in fact, how we can promote justice and also uh, deal with restraint towards evil. But that... But also we should take into account the immediate context here. This isn't talking about any enemy or any any just random uh, poor person that asks or begs whatever we want, uh, whatever they want of us. What, what's in view here particularly is the opposition that comes. The, the context is speaking of how we as Christ's followers, Jesus is saying, should be distinguished from others and, and distinguish when you face that opposition. You heard it. You heard how he unpacked it. Jesus said, if you love lovely people, well, then how does that make you different? <laughs> I mean, if you if you lend money and just expect to be paid back, what I mean, that, everyone else does that too. 
But how would you distinguish yourself as a follower of Jesus that the love of God is working in us in contrast even to people that would abuse you and mistreat you and persecute you because you are a follower of Jesus? Well, if that happens, in fact, if if someone assaults or insults you in any way because of your faith or faithfulness, you are not at liberty, Jesus is saying, to return the same. Jesus told us that people would hate us on account of him. And when and where we might experience that, verse 29 is saying what? Look, you, you, you know this verse already. Turn the other cheek. Don't punch him in the teeth. Just receive. And, or even go beyond because he's saying, go be generous to someone. Who is opposed to you in your faith and you have an opportunity to be good. Of course, there are many instances where uh, we, we are mistreated because we're being naive or because we ourselves are just being plain cruel and rude. And we ought to go ahead and take that, too. <laughs> we face the antagonism of other people. But to the extent that we are suffering as faithful, humble, obedient followers of Christ, we have a unique calling to allow Christ to shine in us and through us amidst that opposition we encounter. The counsel, of course, still applies generally to other instances and times when we find that we have enemies for other reasons or because of our innocence. In fact, we see here some great wisdom on how to navigate those types of circumstances and conflict. Another word here about context, because the whole second portion that we read is all about uh, that, uh, that, that verse, uh, judge not lest you be judged. How many times have you heard that? No one ever says that with a smile, by the way. Right? <laughs> they say it with a finger in the air, like they're judging you. I, I mean, that verse, verse 37, is one that is so often taken out of context. This is one of those verses that people can easily misunderstand. We're not being called here to forgo all forms of judgment. Again, the broader testimony of Scripture commends to us, tells us that we should be people of discernment. Undoubtedly, we need to be able to judge, even when it involves someone else's character. Yes, this is true. Even again, the immediate context helps us out. We don't have to imagine or press this onto the text. We can see that there is a place for for judging. Yes, indeed. That's what he is saying at the very close in verse 42, that you should take the log out of your eye so that you can see clearly when you judge your brother. Of course, when you take that log out, it changes your posture, Right? It gives you a heart of, of it's talking about the posture of, of compassion when we do, of grace. We don't condemn people. Remember where you would be, where I would be without the grace and forgiveness of God in our lives. Think about that. Where would our hearts be? We're, and, and in fact, where would we be? Where are we right now? We're all still a mess. We, we all still have our faults and failures that put us you know, at odds and in conflict with other people. We know this, true, yes? 
We ought to be humble and honest about our own failings unless we fall into judging like a hypocrite. But back to my question, why? Why would we practice these things? Why would we love our enemies and why would we withhold judgment in the form of condemnation and hypocrisy? Why would we do that? Two reasons. Simply from the text, verse 31 as you, Jesus says, wish that other would, other people would do to you. Naturally, we, we desire to be treated a particular way. It's not hard to imagine that. If we put ourselves in other people's shoes, we, we would have a posture that would change the way that we feel, perhaps. If we think about how we would want to be. Second reason to practice these types of things is because it's a reflection of our merciful Heavenly Father and Judge. The Heavenly Father, verse 36 says, be merciful, Jesus says, as your Father is merciful. And then in verse 37, the latter portion of it says, forgive and you will be forgiven. To know of God's mercy, I mean, I'm talking not not theoretically, but I'm saying personally to know of how he has treated you even as a sinner, as, as one of his own enemies. Ourselves. To know that and to experience that amidst the depths of our own faults and failures and sins, then, then that changes things. Then, then we, if we've experienced that forgiveness and we have, the, the, we have new power and new life to go and show that forgiveness, then also we're told underneath that that we will be rewarded. Verse 35, he says, great, in fact, Jesus says, great will be your reward. So be slow. And this is hard, isn't it? Seemingly impossible. Slow to judge. Be compassionate. To be a generous people. To be a merciful people. Not only to people who, who are like you or people who like you, but also to people who don't like you. They're not like you, but they're also not people who even like you at all. Well, if if we do that, what then is the cost? That's my second question. What is the cost? Because make no mistake that to follow Jesus here and to love in a way, in a manner that is sincere, it it undoubtedly exceeds what is sentimental or emotional. Like it is, it's a verb. It is an action. It involves sacrifice to love in a way that Jesus calls us to here. It means that there's a lot to hear. It means to do good. To at verse 27, verse 28, it means to bless. That is to speak well, to speak, to not disparage and, and, and gossip and tear down, but, but to speak, even to speak well to your heavenly father on account of those people. To pray. Verse 29 and verse 30, to go the extra mile. In grace and generosity. This is hard. This is, a, this is costly. E- even with Christian friends, let alone people we might perceive and describe as enemies. We want sometimes. Don't lie. We want to hold grudges. We want to add up again and again the debts that other people owe us. We, we sometimes cherish the opportunity, let's be frank, to rehearse the offenses of people against us. I know this. I know people have been divorced for 20 years, and they, it sounds like it was just yesterday. 
The vitriol, the, 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 it, it's deep, it's painful. And we want to stand, for people who have hurt us, we want to stand in judgment. The other verse in Scripture, the other verses here talk about forgiveness and, and peacemaking. There, there are many verses in, in Scripture that talk about that. It assumes, of course, that there's conflict, right? It assumes that there is conflict in life. But that also will take great wisdom to navigate. It's something else that is very costly to do it is self-denial. It, it means to really understand truthfully the cost is to, to realize that we are denying self. We are saying no to retaliation and bitterness. Even no to the more subtle forms of of maybe some type of passive agree, uh, passive aggressive avoidance. And you might be asking yourself, well, what about the person who has really deeply wronged me? What about the person who has slandered me? What about the person who broke their commitment? What about the person who deceived me and has betrayed me and has broken my trust? What about the person who has hurt me and people that I love deeply? What about the what about the person who has damaged my prop? What about the person who has damaged my reputation, smashed my dreams, given me a bad name? What price what prices do you want to at times extract from them? Will you or will you, Jesus is saying, deny yourself that? Will you let go of bitterness? Some of you want to. I know. I don't say that as if as if you you are insistent upon not doing that. You want to. It seems impossible. Will you give up the judgment gavel to God? Will you deny yourself or the desire to make that person suffer for the wrong that he or she has done to you? What price will you pay? Even to encourage in them that other person's repentance and the restoration of peace in the relationship with this person. Well, it's hopefully natural that you would be asking, I, I, you know, when I read this challenge, what, third question, who is going to help? I mean, clearly we need to navigate these things, an advocate. We need a guide. We need a, a teacher. And Jesus here, I hope you caught it, verse 39, let's revisit it. What does he say? He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We are walking blind at times, we are relying so, uh, so, so deeply upon our feelings. But I feel this way. And we rely upon our feelings. And we are like a, we are like a blind person leading a blind person in, 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 into, into failure, falter. 
Going back to the young woman in the Peruvian rainforest, this young 17-year-old, she survived those 10 days, partly blind, like I said, because in the plane crash she lost her glasses. But she remembered her father's advice. Her, her parents, I think, both were uh, researchers, and they had spent a few years uh, with her in that region. Uh, she knew from advice of her father that if uh, she was lost in the forest, that if she were to make her way to water and then follow that water, that it would make way to civilization. So she headed over to the, the creek or the river. She also knew that there were piranhas there, her dad had told her about. So she stayed in the middle of the river, making her way. Uh, you know, she's, you know she's, she's able to survive, and she does find a camp, and they discover her uh, you know, sometime there, uh, thereafter in the 10 days. What I'm telling you, my friends, is that our Heavenly Father has given us wisdom that we should abandon our own self-will and self-reliance and we should come back to the river of the gospel which leads to the person and work of Jesus. He is our teacher. There's, there's a wonderful book on navigating conflict that, that has immensely impacted me. It's called The Peacemaker. It's by Ken Sandy. And he writes this, he says, take hold of the liberating promises of the gospel. Trust that Jesus has forgiven your sins and confess them freely. Believe that he is using the pressures of conflict to help you grow and cooperate with him. Depend on his assurances that he always is watching over you and stop fearing what others might do to you. Know that he delights to display his sanctifying power in your life and attempt to do things that you could never accomplish in your own strength, such as forgiving someone who has deeply hurt you. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ has forgiven you. By the way, whatever that debt is that someone has, I think I even mentioned this recently, that you're holding on account of, we have a much higher debt towards a holy father. We, by nature, are his enemies, and yet, in the name of love, he has opened a way for us, oh brothers and sisters, the calling is high to love. The cost is high. But don't lose sight of Jesus who paid a far greater price to secure your forgiveness and my forgiveness from God. His love was gladly overflowing in the supreme form of sacrifice on the cross. He now invites us to come and experience that flowing in us and through us, not as a way to... To repay debt. We don't, we don't let that flow so that we can now repay. We, we can't repay it. But in response to it, joyfully reflecting and celebrating the love of Christ in your life. It will make a difference in us and it will make a difference in a world that really needs to see Jesus in, 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 in illustration. <laughs> I want, I want to close with a story that, um, you know, on just a totally different scale for different reasons, 
is is even more impossible than this woman surviving a plane crash. It's 2015. It's the summer of 2015. This is a story everyone in here probably knows already. Maybe some of you young students don't. It's Charleston, June 2015. Emmanuel AME Church. The the oldest uh, black church in the south. Right in the heart of Charleston. It's a Wednesday night. They're having a Bible study. And a young man, 21 years old. This white man, Dylan Roof, 21 years old. All of this this hatred inside of him goes and sits through an entire hour-long Bible study with these people. And when they go to close in prayer, he pulls out a handgun and he kills nine people. Some people were left to tell the story. Christopher Hitchens, side note. Christopher Hitchens, anyone know this name? The late Christopher Hitchens. Now he's the late Christopher Hitchens. Famous atheist, author. Used to have this saying. He repeated it tons of times. He said, find one good or noble thing which cannot be accomplished without religion. Well, I'm going to tell you, it came pretty loud and clear when the survivors of the family of the dead met their enemy, this evil racist gunman. It was so profound that a guy who's a writer in the National Review, Charles Cook, himself an atheist, said, listen, in, re- in response to how they responded to the whole thing, I'm not a Christian But I must say this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity because it was the bond hearing soon after the arrest that they're they're in a courtroom in Charleston. And many of the people you can watch the whole video. It was, of course, edited down by the media. You can watch the entire recording of it on YouTube and go ahead and grab a tissue because you cannot digest this. Without being completely overwhelmed. Here is this evil, violent young man standing before a camera contained in a back room on video listening to the the judge invited the people to come forward, representatives of the slain family members. There is profound emotion and there is acknowledgement of the grief and the loss. But let me just read to you a few of the testimonies. One of the mothers comes forward to the microphone and she says to... This man, Dylan, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I'll never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. Another woman and a witness to the whole event said, We welcomed you on Wednesday night into our Bible study with open arms. And you have killed some of the most beautiful people I've ever known. Every fiber in my body hurts. But as we say in Bible study, we should forgive you and may God have mercy on you and your soul. Another man came forward. You know, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to say repent. Repent and confess your confess and give your life to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ. 
So he can change you so that no matter what happens to you, that your life will be better off. Now, anyone would call this, what's the word, you know, mysterious, miraculous, maybe even perplexing. And you might even wrestle by faith to envision that this type of forgiveness is even possible. But if we say it can't be, then in your unbelief, you don't know the Bible or the God of the Bible. You assume that God's favor is something that you have naturally attained or somehow earned. Real freedom as forgiven people, real real indebted people, real real people who, who are not lovely by nature. And I, and I love you, I, I, but in the, in, the, in the scope of God's grand economy and the holiness of our God, real freedom is found in submission to a worthy authority who, who, who's going to sort it all out in justice and mercy in the end. Real freedom is found in that submission. So instead of raging and instead of of harboring bitterness, instead of judging outwardly or, or inwardly, we go and we take refuge in our great advocate, Jesus. Well, I'm done preaching. But before we pray, um, just an opinion, okay? I tend to think that we um, aren't doing so well by just constantly being, we're being fed all the time by media. News coverage that is up to the minute. Every story, every tragedy, every detail of every violent crime, constantly streaming in. And I don't think it's making us better off. Sometimes it's beyond what we uh, can or should even try to handle or digest. It's just too much. It ramps our anxiety, our capacity for judging, division. It's just not good for the mind and the soul sometimes. If you're having a problem with anxiety, you need to turn off the news. But like it or not, we have for the last, I don't know how many weeks, months, a year now, seen a lot of violence. And a lot of division and a lot of reasons to hate people, maybe. We think there are reasons to hate people. And some of that violence didn't have a doggone thing to do with guns. It had a lot to do with hatred and pride. And some of that violence was done with words. Some of it's been done since this pandemic set in with domestic violence off the charts. There's a lot of stories we have no knowledge of whatsoever. And it's a tragedy. And it would be it would be wise of us, I think, right now, to just take just a moment, just silently, to pray for God to bring healing. God God to take that. Some of that out of our own hearts. And we have supernatural power to do that.
for a lot of people who've suffered. So let's pray. I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for those. Uh, and we do, Lord, those families that need mercy as we uh, as they're mourning. And, and Lord, we mourn with them, not, not only for the loss, Father, but we mourn because of the painful reminder that they and we have that pride and hatred are still alive in our country. In so many communities, there's violence in the streets and even in homes among family members. We know that that is evil. We don't need anyone to to signal that or to give us a speech. We know it's wrong. It's not pleasing to you. There are whole communities that need your comfort. There are individuals. And we pray, Lord, that you please would mercifully restrain those enemies, that you would bring yourself more fame and glory, not only through justice, but also in the hearts and the lives of People to have a Christ-centered forgiveness that's on display for your power and working through the lives and the testimony of your church, your people. There are people that are struggling right now in this room with a deep bitterness. And Lord, you can bring healing and I pray that they would, they would have the power to surrender and the joy that comes downstream of that. Well, there are many who are even despondent. They're tempted to despair. There, there are people that are, are that need release, that need healing, that comes supernaturally by grace, by the resurrection power applied to us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that we as your disciples, as your followers, have a very high calling to love and to mercy and to forgiveness. And, and Lord, when we succeed in, in showing that, would you help us see Jesus? But when we fail, would you help us to see Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on him, our merciful and gracious Savior. We, Lord, pray particularly for the enemies of the church, those who are opposing the kingdom here, especially though abroad, in countries where the persecution is very high. And we pray that you today would be merciful to them, bless them, help them to see Jesus. Help our brothers and sisters to display Jesus as so many faithfully have in persevering underneath that. Lord, we know it's easy to love lovely people. Lord, we pray for the people that we do love that are sick right now. Some many have recovered. So many have recovered from COVID and we're grateful for that. It's easy to love people and our dear friends, especially today we Pray for our beloved sister, Emily Layton. It's her birthday, Lord. and We just rejoice over her life. We pray that you would watch over her. Would you grant her your healing touch, especially as it pertains to her breathing and her oxygen, Lord. Guide us, Lord, away today from sin and from self and towards the things that reflect you, Jesus, our true, beautiful Savior. It's in your name that we pray. Even now, as we pray together, as you, Jesus,